You're listening to episode 300 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of The Magicians. And, dude, as you said, hopefully the third time is the charm. <laughs> We're going to the phones. Two strikes yeah, with Skype and didn't work. Yeah, Skype was not working out for us tonight. But uh, And here on a auspicious 300th show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately, we have nothing special planned, so... I guess that uh, probably says something about us. Uh, I didn't even send you a card, man. I know. I was actually, I, I didn't even really think about it until right before we started. When I typed in number 300, when I named the file, was like when it, when it really hit me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, hey, you know, you can always add in some like fanfare music later or something like that. Or, yeah. I don't know. All right, and since it's episode 300, I won't mention that if you're interested in supporting us through our Patreon account, you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch or go to the website and there's a link to the right side of the page. And we want to thank Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Cindy, and Mike, who've been patrons of the podcast for a while now. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so let's jump right into tip of the week. And my tip of the week is a show that I'd seen, you know, on my Netflix feed for a while now and never really gave it much thought. Uh, As you know, I'm a huge Lucifer fan. I cover it for Den of Geek and and this season it's gone to Netflix. So, you know, they, they sent me some screeners. So I've been immersed in trying to get caught up for its drop date, which is uh, we're recording on Tuesday, the 7th. It, It drops on the 8th. And one of the characters that has joined the cast is an Israeli actress named Inbar Lavi, and she's great. And I'm watching, you know how like on Netflix, it just whatever is up on the screen, it'll start playing its little 30 second trailer. Yeah. And I'm like, I know that voice. Well, it was her. So my wife and I checked it out and it's basically the story of a con artist and, and that's her role. And she works with a three-person team. And basically what they do is they find some mark that's got money. She gets them to fall in love with her. They marry her. She cleans them out, leaves a video for them online, just basically adding insult to injury. So what you have is the one guy, her, her most recent husband, sets out to track her down. And along the way, he meets a previous ex-husband and a previous ex-wife, and the three of them team up to track her down. And it's really good. It really is good. There's two seasons. We just started season two last night. You'll recognize some of the people in the show for sure. It's called Imposters, and I mean, it's funny. It's you know emotional. It's just it's really a good show. So Imposters <laughs> right. on Netflix. Yeah, you had me a little confused because you started talking about Lucifer and then all the other stuff. I'm like. Uh, are we still talking about Lucifer here? So, no, the imposters. Okay. Well, I have two things. I have two actions I wish to commit. The first is to rescind half of last week's pick of the week. By that I mean Dirk Gently season two sucked. It was awful, just terrible. As good as season one was, season two was just horrible. It's like they tried to be go like once upon a time or something, and it it was just you know I mean there's a reason I don't watch once upon a time or didn't watch I don't even know is that show still going or what uh I don't know, I don't think yeah. so, but I'm not sure, yeah, anyway, I was severely disappointed, I was angered that I had. And it was longer, so it was like 10 episodes rather than 8. So they got me for two extra episodes. You know, you just keep thinking maybe it's going to get better, and it just doesn't. And then at the end of it, that's like, you know, 10 hours of your life gone. But oh well. So I returned the DVDs to the library with a clean conscience, and now I no longer will wonder if I missed anything by not watching Dirk Gently. Okay. Because the answer is not really. And maybe we know now why there's no season three. That's exactly, exactly why there's no season three. I'm surprised they let them finish season two. It was so bad. Anyway, but my positive pick of the week would be uh, Barry 
on HBO. Okay. Have you seen Barry? I've never watched it, but I've, you know, again, seen the 30-second trailers. Yeah. I was intrigued. Bill Hader, Hader is a really very funny guy. I know he's funny, you know, but this this role is not a funny role for him. He plays a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan who returns home to become a contract killer and a very talented contract killer. And he takes this job in L.A. where he has to kill this guy who's been having sex with the wife of the local Chechnya, well, not local, but the Chechnyan mafia leader's wife. And this guy is in an acting class. So Barry, who's Bill Hader, ends up enrolling in the class. And uh, so, like, it's it's like kind of like a little bit of that juggling two lives thing where he's got this thing he's trying to become an actor. He's taking this acting class to try and, you know, bring some fulfillment. He, he's basically a guy who doesn't really feel fulfilled in life. And, and, you know, like it's not like contract killing it makes him feel great and everything. So he's got that. But then also he has this life as a, con- you know, as a hired assassin that he has going on too. So that's actually only a very like you think that they could play that up over and over and over again. They really don't. They really kind of downplay the caught between two lives type thing. It pops up every now and then, but really it's just this kind of following this guy and how he just reacts to the world and people around him. But it's pretty good. The, all the uh, you know, Bill Hader actually is one of the writers of it, and um, <clears throat> so the the actors in it are, are very good and very funny. Uh, Henry Winkler plays his uh, acting instructor, which is really funny. The first episode, you see all these young people who want to be actors, and they're all walking. Even in L.A., no one walks in L.A., or they have crappy cars. And then Henry Winkler rolls out in his, like, souped-up SUV, a really nice car, you know, and everything. So, you know, obviously, he's making some bank on this class uh, off the students and everything. That he's dubious how much he's actually helping them. So it's funny. It's nice. So far, I, I like it. I'm almost done season one. So uh, hopefully this week at this time, I will not be rescinding my uh, thumbs up approval for season two. Uh, we'll have to see. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, and just a reminder to everybody out there. Next week, we're going to cover two episodes of The Magicians, episodes 107 and 108. And that's so that we can be ready to go when Dark drops on, I believe it's June 21st. So next week, 107 and 108. And that should be the only time we have to double up. So everybody right. prepare. All right. We're going to talk about episode 106 in Practical Applications, written by Leah Fong, directed by John Stewart Scott. It aired February 22nd, 2016. Now, you know, you know what's really striking me about the magicians at this point? I mean, the storylines are getting better, but the acting is still a little bit of a weak point. And, and I tried to put it into some perspective because really – all of the actors are very young, and, and this is among really their first jobs, so that other than right. Dean Fogg and Professor Sunderland, they're all relatively inexperienced. So not only do they have to really get comfortable with the character, as do the writers as well and the directors, but so do the actors. And I am a little surprised I'm saying this, but the, the actor that plays quentin i think really is among the better and, and of course the actor that plays julia is uh i think among the better so i'll talk a little bit about that as we go along but in general how'd you like this one i actually like this one so i can say that uh, i am definitely not going to give it a c but uh yeah I, th- I thought this was a pretty good um i don't know i guess yeah i'm, I'm not going to say right now why I liked it because I'm I'm gonna like kind of save that for the discussion, but uh, suffice it to say that I, I thought it was much better, especially from you know two episodes ago. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things I like is, is that overall it's about being tested, and on the one hand we've got Julia going through this test with hannah and we'll, we'll talk about that second but then of course the test at break bills that are known as the trials for the first year students and you know fred talks a little bit about that 
in his feedback about the wisdom of allowing the students to run something like this. But we'll talk about that after we listen to Fred's feedback. But we open with Penny and Katie talking to Quentin and Alice about the experience in Fillory and the fantastic nature of Quentin's excited explanation is really one of the highlights of the early part of the episode. And, you know, Penny is just at first, he's like, all right, you know, maybe you're on to something there. And then Quentin takes it too far. And then even Katie's like, nah, we're wasting our time. But, you know, like, and see, like, I, I was concerned at the start because, you know, Penny and his overreaction and his, need to go out of the way to be an asshole i'm like see that's what i don't like i don't i i get that they're trying to show that there's conflict between penny and quinn and it'll be all the better when all of a sudden they're really good buddies later on i get that that's where this one is going but you know when you have to like really over like they they go too far i think sometimes and they make it unrealistic and and like i said if it pulls me away from the experience of watching the show right take that now i'm not watching because i'm stepping outside analyzing and saying you know no one's that much of an asshole right like no one would act like that really even if they really didn't like the other guy and they would probably find their way to be at least moderately civil instead of outwardly just a jerk I didn't care for that bit, but I, you know, but all the fillery stuff is pretty neat. Well, it is, and they sort of establish that the characters are now having to accept that fillery is an alternate plane of reality. That obviously Penny traveled there, and you know now it's a question: Can he get back? Can the others go? So you know they're setting us up for that, which I really like. But there's still, and I think part of Penny's problem, and we've talked about this before, is that he really is not comfortable with his abilities. And I think it's something that he's going to have to come to terms with. Otherwise, we're going to start hating him more than we dislike Quentin at this point. And one of the things that his mentor told him was about tattooing his arm well i guess you could have the tattoo anywhere but we see the scene where katie's tattooing the design on his arm and you know it's a really nice scene because the two of them it seems like we only see them in bed usually the aftermath of of a sexual encounter but there's a little bit more interchange between the two she starts opening up about her parents but Mm. Well, a little bit, and we don't even know how much of it's true, to be honest. I mean, we, we well from we what lear- she says at the end, I'd say very little of it. <laughs> yeah, we we certainly learn that she's lying, and and you know, there's also a big reveal for their relationship as well. But he still hears the girl from the dungeon, and of course, in his mind, if he gets the tattoo, then he won't end up back in fillery and i guess on the one hand that does say something about him because he knows this girl or this young woman is trapped there why wouldn't he want to go back and try to help her because he's scared well i understand that but he also has other people that he could enlist i mean my gosh he's got the world's foremost expert on fillery right there eager to help so that's a little troublesome about his character. We'll see if that, that changes yeah. at all. But I, I do like the scene then. Quentin's abducted by the masked individuals. And, and of course, yeah. it turns out to be Margo and another girl take them to that large gathering. And, and you know, at this point, we're not sure what the hell is going on. But Elliot, you know, I talked about the acting earlier. Elliot has not had the opportunity to really get serious, to really get emotional. What he does with yeah. his character is awesome. It is what yeah. it is at this point. But but he does have moments of gravitas, and this is why Elliot's my favorite character, because he does have moments where he's like serious, like kind of deadly serious. And then there's obviously the which is the majority of the time are the, the flippant moments. Um, but he, he can get he can get real when when necessary that's that's true although it doesn't generally last very long but still it's there right right. and i don't want to take away from this flamboyant 
character that he plays because that's his character. That's the role he's playing, yeah. and he does that really well. So and, and, I, and we and I like it. I think he's funny. And, uh, you know, it's, right, it's good. So he's in charge. Uh, he's going to put the first years through what are known as the trials to test their progress as magicians, and he, he lets them know in no uncertain terms that some of you will fail, and this is how we thin the herd at break bills, and he sees the worried looks on their faces and one of my favorite lines oh nut up this isn't harvard it requires actual effort <laughs> so yeah that's funny yeah. i don't know if i think it's so funny if i actually went to harvard but that was funny it was funny and and you know he lets them know that this is something that the dean created and there seems to be an individual test for each student they're put in groups of three actually there should be an individual test for each group so we don't know if each group of three is trying to solve the same uh problem with the spell fyi this test is pretty much impossible so after a few hours and i think it's penny that says how much time do we have and quentin looks at the hour goes i don't know how do you yeah i can't read an hourglass <laughs> right. but that's funny but I don't know about you. I was a little surprised that it was Quentin that suggests cheating. You know, I could see that coming out of Penny, but that surprised me in a good way. Um, I wasn't surprised at all, actually. I mean, Quentin is a, you know, I mean, this one was called Impractical Applications, but I think Quentin, despite, you know, having his head in fillery for so long i think he is a, a person who kind of he's like not not machiavellian but the, certainly a person who understands like the end justifies the means that's sometimes his philosophy like we've seen it before where just he's willing to take chances and go outside the lines as we saw with poor cancer puppy in order to you know achieve what he wants to achieve so so no, i wasn't at all surprised that he suggested the cheating okay and that is true i forgot about the incident with cancer puppy and then he does say here there's no such thing as half a spell i wasn't surprised that penny agreed with him they decide they need a genius to solve the spell and, and you know at first when i watched it i was a little confused about the mechanics of what penny was doing because quentin asks him well can you read alice's mind i mean we need a genius we know she'll figure it out that's how we'll cheat and he says well no but i can do you one better and then i realized oh he's traveling so yeah. we see him looking over her shoulder at well, he's her doing like an astral projection yeah so we see it but she doesn't see she doesn't. it of course and nor does anyone right. else but uh so that that was pretty cool except for maybe elliot well except for maybe elliot and, and he lets them know later i know you cheated congratulations yeah. and yeah. i love the fact that he also tells the third guy in their group the one who didn't want to cheat you're gone and well he doesn't even say you're gone he just looks up and he's does gone. something and he's, he's just gone yeah but maybe he turned into a goose Right, and it, yeah, well, we'll get to that, whatever the hell that <laughs> actually means or what it what happens, but you and I have talked a lot about morality and ethics with these kids, but there doesn't seem to be any boundaries, and I guess if you're going to go up against the beast, that's certainly something that you have to consider. Is all of this in preparation for the beast? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, the trials have been going on for generations, they lead us to believe. And the beast is a rather recent phenomenon. At least it seems that way. So, right. so regardless, I, I guess what they're trying to teach them is, you know, like, like a prior lesson. Sometimes you have to solve a problem without magic. Right. Well, you got to step out. You can't adhere to any kind of strict code of anything, really, apparently, with magic. I think it's really what it, it, it's also this lesson is teaching them. <clears throat> if you're going to be, you know, afraid to, you know, step outside the lines, then you're going to wash out. You do wash out. Right. Right. And, of course, they're celebrating in between tests. And I love the scene when Margot comes in to Quentin's room and 
and we're not sure what the heck she's going to do. I mean, the relationship she has with Elliot is pretty intense. It's you know pretty complicated. I guess uncertain, uncertain. So we don't know if she's going to come on to Quentin at this point. But we learn that she too was a fan of the Fillory books. But the operative word is was. And what comes out of their conversation is the fact that the books differ from the real Fillory. And I love he he, because he gets angry and well, they're children's book. Maybe they left the part about the monster out. Okay, fair point. And I guess what I like is that she doesn't put him down for his current love of the Fillory books. I mean, she seems to have put it behind her. But at the end of the day, what we take away from this scene is that she's really there just to roofie him to, right. to take him to the next test. Where but, he, but part of this also is with, with Fillory, I mean, she's right. Like, get over it, Quentin. You're, look at you, man. You're an adult. Like, she said, you're torturing yourself for a fairy tale. You know, it's ridiculous. Why is he so upset that... The quote-unquote actual Fillory is not like the Fillory of the book. You know, he's like the same guy that goes to the Lord of the Rings and saying, that's not actual Elvish, you know, or something like that. You know, like, dude, loosen up. Right. You know, it's it's a book. And if there's some element, if there's some world that's actual Fillory, okay, understand that just as the movie is not the book, so... Like, real life is not a book, and real life is not a movie. Like, get over it and deal with things as they are instead of how you want them to be. Okay, uh, unless, and what I suspect is going to happen, it's going to be his intimate knowledge of Fillory that's going to enable them to yeah, de- defeat I the know. beast. I know. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so he wakes next to a stream. I know that's coming. I just don't want it to. Okay. Well, he wakes up next to a stream. Elliot's sitting there in absolute finery fancy food on the table elliot seems to say something that that there's no magic in this place but that doesn't seem to be true as we go on but we see katie running through the forest with a butterfly net alice is doing something with ropes there's a white horse and penny seems to be at margot's mercy but then we get that scene between katie and penny where they really extend that more intimate scene that they had earlier where she comes clean about break bills being all she has. She says, I'm different. It's life or death. I have to be here. And of course, now she sounds like Julia or even Quentin to a lesser degree. But yeah. And, and, and we know if she gets kicked out, then she's of no value to Marina anymore. And, you know, we, we don't really know. I mean, obviously, we'll learn in this episode what the connection is. But, you know, at this right. point. Yeah. So there, there's also something else there, a little a little tidbit. I don't know if you caught it, where Margot tells uh, Penny that he's got to catch the horse. And what is he given? Oh, he's got an axe, right? Right. Um, and then she says, you know, I, I want to Catherine the Great it. And do you know what that was in reference to? Well, I meant to look it up. I'm wondering whether Catherine the Great rode naked on a horse. No, no, no. No, okay. No, <laughs> much worse. Okay. So it's it's a complete fabrication. The myth is that Catherine the Great died because she was trying to have sex with a horse. Oh. And they had rigged up some kind of harness to lower it onto her from her bed and it broke and the horse landed on her and crushed her and that's how she died. Ouch. Yeah. But in reality, Catherine Great died of a stroke. She was like almost 80 years old. And, you know, so it's just one of those things where she did have a fairly prolific sexual life. That that much is true for sure. But she... Kids out there, when you get to history class, Catherine the Great did not die trying to have sex with a horse. Right. It's not true. Didn't happen. Right. So. And, and, you know, that's one of the issues about historical 
scripted drama. You know, I've mentioned that I cover Nightfall for Den of Geek, and I just watched the season two finale uh, this afternoon. It, it's going to air next week. And, you know, it's based on the Knights Templar and, and, you know, a lot of history. And, you know, we know that that's how Friday the 13th came to be such an unlucky day. But, you know, they've taken a lot of license with the historical accuracy. But did they? Yeah. But, uh, but <laughs> it's like the, well, the, I just remember that show, like the, the Knight Templars, like having sex with the queen's wife, the king's wife or something. Yeah. It's like, okay. I'm not saying that didn't happen, but I'm also saying yeah. you're go you're going too far too strong right out of the gate nightfall. Yeah. So, so anyway, all right. So uh, not to go too far into nightfall. Um, right. So you know they've mentioned cooperative magic numerous times throughout the first six episodes, which again leads me to believe we're headed for this big showdown with the beast. And it is going to take not only everybody at break bills, but probably everybody at marinas, everybody, you know, whoever Julia ends up connecting with as well. But on this test, the four of them figure out that what we need to do is figure out what am I good at and I'll solve your problem, you solve his problem, he'll solve her problem, and that's, of course, what they do. Well, not only that, they all have the wrong instrument for the task they were designed to do. Exactly. You know, which the best is like, <laughs> Penny's like, well, I'll catch the fish, I'm from Florida. Oh, really? You need to be from Florida to hold a net and catch a fish out of a, a shallow stream? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one that I noticed, and this goes beyond my, you know, fascination for her character and, and you know, my crushing on her, and that is Katie. You know I coach softball for 20 years. She oh, has, this isn't going to get creepy, is it? No, she has a great oh. swing. Oh, my God. First of all, oh, the, axe, the axe. Yeah. I yeah. mean, an axe is heavy. And you could tell. Did you ever that, do that, like softball training? Just like say, let's we're gonna go cut down a tree, girls. Uh, no, no. I we had them like hit, in Rocky or something. We had them hit tires at one point with their bats, but but nice. uh, but she's got a great swing. I, I'd be shocked if she never played baseball or softball growing up. But that's beside the point. So so we get to the final test, and I really like this because I I don't know if this goes to yeah. Uh, you know, the, the ethics and morality that we've been talking about, but they have to expose their utmost truth to another adept at magic. And again, they're paired off in Quentin's with Alice, Katie's with Penny. And I'm not sure about the whole naked painting thing. I mean, I would have liked to have them turn the lights up a little brighter and and fred did provide <laughs> us with a uh, a screen cap that i think he photoshopped and lightened it so we could see better thank you fred um, yeah. <laughs> but uh it is a fascinating test because they bind each other with ropes and i guess as i understand it once they have sufficiently unburdened themselves with this fundamental truth the ropes fall off and that's sort of the indicator that that they did you know what they were supposed to do but i love when they start alice has got the bottle i think we maybe should do this as well to make it a little bit easier yeah um so yeah there's a couple things um you know first of all like katie and penny have already you know been intimate with one another so when they do this it is obviously there's a strong sexual element to this especially with the paint you know it's i this is where i i, I really liked it not just because i'm like some kind of pervert but i just thought it was like a, a really as far as the the sexual energy that was going on there with those two was very intense of course then you know it leads up to the quote-unquote climax is actually her telling penny she doesn't love him you know which was like brutal now, if you look at the other two, now here are two people who there's been maybe some, like, obviously, I'm sure when this season was actually happening, and of course, you know, how can you not ship, you know, Alice and Quentin 
And here now they are literally naked in front of each other. And it's like the same thing. There's still, like, even with them, there's definitely some sexual energy as they paint each other. You can see that happening. But uh, but it's a little, I guess because, you know, I guess, it, I don't want to say pure, but it's, I guess a little sweeter, a little more tender, I thought, because while the other two, like, well, you know where this is leading kind of thing, uh, for the other two, it's not leading there at all. But yet, you know, you can kind of see both of them thinking about it a little bit. They're, they're both too awkward and unsure to, you know, actually to go there. Right. I mean, whether or not Alice and Quentin are virgins, I mean, she claims she's you know, somebody that lost her virginity with all her clothes on. I'm not exactly sure how that works out. Uh, and we don't know about Quentin. It's high school. Yeah, right. But high school, it, man. But everything you said, I, I certainly agree with. And, you know, we, we've talked about Penny really, at times, really being an asshole. But you really feel for him at this point because he, he tells her, and we believe him, that he is falling in love with her. But just like the show I mentioned, uh, Imposters, she's got an agenda and she comes clean with it. The ropes come off, so we know she's telling the truth, as does Penny. It's, he's, he's really crushed at that point. And, and, yeah. and something starts happening with him, and, and I don't know if we really understand exactly what it is. but No, we don't understand it at all. We, we suspect, we know. It seems like he might have turned into one of the geese. The girls might have, too. Fred asked if the girls didn't, but... They might have as well. We just didn't see it. Right. Right. Because Quentin just turns around and Alice is gone. So. Right. And, potentially. And, right. And then to get to Alice and, and Quentin, you know, she explains to him about trying to not be her best because everybody hates her as it is. If she tried to be her best, they'd hate her even more. And and again, I love that line. Spinster magician dies alone, eaten by cats. <laughs> and, and she sees herself as having that kind of life and hopefully the experience at break bills will bring that out of her and, and that that she'll you know form connections as she is with quentin and and she is with Margot and elliot and katie and penny whether she can admit it or not at this point these are relationships that are forming you know we're, we're not sure and then like you said the the whole turning into a bird and flying away was it all yeah. four? Was it just the guys? I, I don't know, but yeah, I still don't know what it means. There's a bunch of, of geese there. So uh, here's one thing I want to say about, especially about Penny, because you're right. He He's someone who obviously is very guarded and who doesn't let people in, right? Yeah, right. So he takes this chance. Uh, you know, you get a feeling that he's not just like you get Katie. We know says what she says because she wants to get through the trial. Right. Right. Penny says what he says, cause it's something he's been wanting to say. And now it's just his opportunity to say it. And you know, he, he throws it out there that I, and he doesn't even go full on. I love you. He's like, I think I'm falling in love with you. You know, kind of like he still qualifies it enough that he's not really 100% taking that jump, but he's taking a jump nonetheless. And she just slams it back in his face. So, you know, here's a guy who doesn't like opening up, who finally does open up. And no, no sooner does he do that, than he's just completely Heismaned, you know? Yeah. Uh, Fred, that means he's denied. He's, <laughs> our overseas viewers might not understand the idiom of Heisman. Check it out. Google it, along with Catherine the Great. So, so I, it makes me feel like for a guy who at the beginning of the episode, I was like, what an a-hole. Um, now I'm like, oh, wow. I, just, I feel so bad for him at this point because I know how much it, it took for him to do that, you know, only to have it blow up in his face. It was horrible. All right. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about Julia's test with hannah and you know we've talked about julia's desperation all along she goes back to that hedge witch bar that she really pretty much dissed them when she was there the first time you think yeah and uh she wants the bartender to give her the name and location of another witch group she can check out and understandably the guy doesn't want to but of course we learn that marina has warned him off 
and you know again julia's desperation you know i'm not done with you and and they understand she's got some powerful magic and and the more we see her each week you know we learn that certainly that's true but she goes to this place that's pretty sketchy there's an eviction notice posted and this woman's been following her and shows her stars crossed out on her arm just like julia's and and you know that whole line i'm just like you so now they've got like a connection um that whole uh, that whole line about our story with marina isn't rare we can help each other and all of this um julia takes her to that safe house which just looks like a garage uh, so i'm not sure if that's like her parents house or where she got that space where she conducts her spells but it was, was kind of cool you know some, mm-hmm. some kind of garage but they come up with the idea that they should hit the road and you know they know of you know other uh, groups of magicians and julia then says you know what we don't need to go anywhere marina got her memories of break bills back so at this point we realize oh okay they're going to steal from marina and i don't know about you but i guess before this episode not that i didn't know marina was powerful i guess i just didn't know how powerful right you know well especially since she's got all her memories from break bills back that she's like probably crazy powerful now right right although i guess to be fair we'd have to say that the spell that hannah and julia cast to transport the filing cabinets from marina's place to their place i gotta believe that's a relatively advanced spell i mean i i don't know but it certainly seemed pretty advanced but even before we get to that uh, she tells Julia that, you know, there's someone we got to meet, someone that can help us. And then Katie shows up and this turns out to be her mom. Now, of course, she tells Penny that her mom died young. So, so obviously that's the first lie that, right. that we. Well, not the first one. <laughs> right, right. The first one that we can put two and two together. But clearly they're estranged. And, you know, we learn the genesis of this estrangement and we learn the genesis. I mean, we've talked how many weeks about, well, why does Katie have to work for Marina? Right. And we get the story, but I'm still not exactly sure. Her mom screwed up on a case or on a mission yeah. or whatever. Two right. people got killed. Yes. Why does Katie have to pay off her mother's debt? Uh, because Marina... I guess had to come in to clean up for Hannah and in return for this service, I guess she, you know, basically gets Katie as a slave and indentured servant or something. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent clear. Um, but it does show us why, you know, like Katie is not an enthusiastic worker for, for Marina. You know, like she, how she looks like she doesn't, she's angry about what she has to do and she's really not 100% into it. It's more like a a chore. It's something she has to do that she doesn't want to do. Well, this explains it then, right? Right. Oh, I mean, I guess we don't know when the estrangement between mother and daughter occurs. Did they have a good relationship before this happened? And doesn't really seem like it. it well, right. So then why doesn't Katie just say, hey, screw you. you get, it's just between you and my mother. You, you, you want her to you know, pay you back for getting her out of this mess? That's between you two. I, I should have nothing to do with this. So that's yeah. what confuses me a little bit. Right. That, that's a good point. And also, I mean, Katie does come when Hannah asks her to. Right. Well, that's like true. At, at, at this moment, she come like you know, if she were completely one hundred percent not one hand in her life at all, she would not have gone to the diner, right? Well, so. now we assume though that what lured her to the diner is the mother telling her, "I've got a spell for you that you can give to Marina," and oh, and the yeah, way and the I way can. that plays out, even Julia doesn't really pick up on the fact that oh no no mother wanted her to take that to marina that was part of the plan if you will 
and, right. and, and of course that's she, the hook right she lies and tells her she found it in an old textbook I, exactly the hook to bring down the wards and then we get that scene where julia's in her space sitting in some kind of magic circle doing a spell when hannah bursts in you know this whole i want my daughter back she tells julia and I, I I don't think she wants her daughter back. I, I'm not sure what she wants. I th- I think in in some ways she's just as I don't know driven as Julia, and that that everything else just kind of falls by the wayside in, in this pursuit of magic. And right, I I think clearly she sacrificed her daughter once. There's no reason to think she won't do it again. And just really rings hollow to me that that line that i want my daughter back well i don't i don't know i think this heist here this getting all the spells from marina is a way for hannah to start her own house and then she could get her daughter back then because you know so it, it seems like she's really trying to like obviously katie has very little respect for her mother and Hannah really seems like she's trying to to get that respect and, and that she can do this by being the head of her own house. Now her daughter can respect her and maybe her daughter can come back into her life. Well, that's true. I mean, I, I, I can certainly see that. Now, they're conducting the spell and, and we get an inside look at marinas and you see the file cabinets shaking and and all that did did you notice the young guy that was with her yeah i mean i noticed him i didn't really trezo mahoro i i know him from van helsing he, he's one of the main characters in van helsing and, and this is several years before van helsing started so he's even younger here but uh he he didn't get much of a chance to do anything in this episode of the magicians he's wonderful in van helsing but you know that whole line and i think it's julia that says something about the movie scanners yeah and uh hannah Do you remember scanners? Did oh, you ever oh, see that? well of course and fred brings it okay. up in the feedback um, hannah starts going through the cabinet's contents and then she starts hemorrhaging, and oh my yeah. goodness! And that's yeah. not exactly scanners, but it's not it's far from close it, enough. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we assume she has to be dead. I, I I don't know, but but clearly Hannah has done something with the uh, uh, you know the spell and in, in, in the cabinet and to reverse it or whatever. Yeah, but, I uh, feel like yeah, like yeah, something really not good happen with her head that that, i don't think life uh is continuing for hannah which is a shame because i kind of liked hannah right so you know we're left julia back ostensibly alone again with the the idea that she wants to start her own house and and you know as you said that would be pretty cool we've got marina who now understands that that she's being literally attacked from julia's angle and and you know break bills is going to figure out sooner or later that you know her stuff has been taken as well and obviously the fingers will point towards her we've got the beast going like, on honestly in the how have they not figured that out already and maybe they have and that just wasn't part you know all, all the right. the teachers are off on some kind of retreat i think elliot says so uh, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll see that later but uh, anything else you want to bring up you know julia still is you know, like I, Hannah, her de- her death is kind of on Julia here. You know, Julia is still all go 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 and not really thinking about what she's doing. And and this is, I you know, I, I guess the kind of the danger that while I didn't enjoy when Quentin said it, I mean, I kind of also get that she doesn't. You know, she she's like a, a little kid playing with matches. You know, she doesn't know really what she's up against. She really doesn't know what she's doing, but, and, and there's consequences. In this case, a woman died. Hannah died because Julia is so adamant about, you know, getting these spells from Marina and striking back against Brie and things like that. So, um, you know, there, there's that bit. 
to it. Well, there is, but I, I guess I'm not ready to put it all on Julia because Hannah's the one that was stalking her and right. really made that connection with her. So, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm loathe to put it all on Julia. I mean, I think oh, I'm Hannah, not putting it all on her. I'm just saying it's, it's part of you know she's she's definitely culpable mm-hmm. here, and also like that those movements they're doing. I mean, were you not even thinking OA what they were doing that? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was yep. like, hey. So yep. yeah, I think that's about all. So uh, okay. Well, listen, we've got uh, an additional feedback this week. Fred from the Netherlands, of course, checked in. But Doug Crabtree, who is a participant in the Facebook group on a fairly regular basis, sent us in an audio feedback as well. So let's take a listen to those two, and then we'll come back. I don't usually give audio feedback, but this week is a special case. Since I find myself at the Amsterdam airport with some free time on my hands... I figured that I, too, would say hello from the Netherlands. A little warning, I'm completely up to date with the magicians, so going back and watching earlier episodes is quite an interesting view of how far these characters have come, but I'll try not to slip up and spoil anything. If I recall correctly, this is the first time we find Penny, Alice, Katie, and Q collaborating on magic. To me, the collaboration was the best part of the episode. Whenever the six share the screen, including Margo and Elliot, I found this show was really enjoyable to watch. The writing of each character is just so good. You could see the admiration cross Penny's face when Q suggested that they cheat. On the other hand, Julia and Hannah, who also worked together and tried to outsmart Marina by stealing her collection of spells, found out the hard way that working together can lead to tragic results. And what is up with Julia going at things alone down dark alleys? One thing I'll say about this show, there are always stakes. You never know what is going to happen to any of the characters. Hannah's death from stealing the spells leaves Julia speechless as she attempts to ask for help. Did she learn a lesson here? Margot and Elliot look like they're absolutely enjoying themselves. Over the many episodes I have seen, I have enjoyed these two characters the most. Well, that's it for me. I'm heading to catch a flight to the north. So long for the one and only time from Doug from the Netherlands. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Magicians Season 1, Episode 6. First off, I want to come back to one of your remarks in a very old podcast. Your Sci-Fi TV Rewatch podcast, Episode 103 from April the 9th of 2015. And, Dave and Wayne, do you know by heart which episode of which series that is? It's about Dark Angel, Season 1, Episode 19. After the Orville and Star Trek Discovery had finished their second seasons, I finally got time to catch up with other series I had paused, and one of them was Dark Angel. And I watched this episode called I and I Am a Camera, And in this episode, there is a guy called Phil, very strange, weird guy, and he is played by Rain Wilson. All right. Tonight, we continue our discussion of James Cameron's cyberpunk series, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly, as we enjoy the second consecutive episode with an actor who has made it kind of big after their Dark Angel appearance. I think, yeah, this is like two episodes now. We've got guys who just kind of dropped off the map as soon as they were on Dark Angel, right? Yeah, yeah. Rain Wilson, who obviously we know from The Office. Yeah, you could say that you know, Rain Wilson might have a character type here, right? Because uh, the character in Dark Angel is in many, many ways very similar to Dwight. Um, you know, like kind of existing on his own plane and uh, una- misses the irony that is taking place around him. Yep. And he also appeared in an HBO series called Six Feet Under, which you said you saw the first season. It's about uh-huh. a family that owns a funeral parlor. The father is killed in a tragic car accident, and the family's left to pick up the pieces. And he appears, I guess he didn't appear in season one. He comes on as kind of an assistant, ends up, uh, spoiler alert, having an affair with the mother. But, what? But he's not quite as quirky as he is in the office and in dark angel but he's still you know a little quirky but well he's a heck of an actor he is indeed and he's very as a uh, 
top-notch comedic actor and um yeah really brought it this episode you know an episode that was much lighter than the the previous one i think you'd agree with that right Uh, oh yeah absolutely and towards the end of the podcast you say well, the, the whole and this is just like uh, this is like Rain Wilson all over. It's just he's so brilliant. Like, ah oh man, like he's such an awesome comic actor. And those two scenes of kicking in the door were just—I mean, for me, that like did for me for the whole episode because I was just like, it was so well done, so perfect that that like that awkwardness. <laughs> and talking about awkwardness. For people who watched the Star Trek Discovery had a treat in the sense of that Rain Wilson played Harry Mudd in one of the Star Trek short tracks, which are, for people that don't know it, a short 20 minutes episode. There are four of them and they appeared before the start of season two of Star Trek Discovery. And of course, Harry Mudd is a very iconic figure in the original series, where we have the episodes I Mudd and Mudd's Women, originally played by Roger Carmel in 1967. For me, it was just very strange, just finished Star Trek Discovery, and the first series I picked up where I had paused the, the watching is the very first episode is an episode where there is an important character of Star Trek Discovery, as well as your homage to him in, in the podcast. So, Dave and Wayne, this is a way your old stuff is still appreciated, at least by this listener. And what is a pity is that I couldn't give feedback for this series. Dark Angel is very nice, and doing an analysis there would have been very nice. But... This was Sci-Fi TV Rewatch 103, and I start giving feedback from 226. So there are 113 episodes in between. And actually, that's a little bit true for Lost Girl as well, uh, the series you started with. I'm still not finished watching Lost Girl, so I will get the same feelings probably that when I watch Lost Girl catch up with where I was in the series and then listen to your podcast and I get the idea oh shit it's a pity I cannot give feedback and we tried for a little while that I gave feedback for the librarians season one whereas season four was running it was very nice that you gave me that opportunity but it still was a little awkward okay time to get into the magicians First off, I just love the scene where Katie is tattooing Penny. It was nicely shot and very tenderly acted. It reflects that they really care for each other. I hope their relationship will survive the so-called naked truth they told each other later in the episode. Best quote of the episode, Quinton says, We have to cheat. They want us to. We have been Kobayashi Marud. Who doesn't know like Penny, what the Kobayashi Maru is, should really evaluate if this is the right podcast to listen to. Well, when in previous episodes Stanley was talking to Penny about astral projection, Penny did say, I don't watch Star Trek. By the way, I liked it a lot that Quinton made a verb out of it. Julia asks Hannah, have you ever seen the film Scanners? And Hannah goes, Ugh. I didn't know anything about this 1981 film. Did you? Is Julia not a little young to know a 1981 film? But if you have a look at the trailer, which I did, you will understand the uh that Hannah gave. In the trailer you see a guy with an exploding head. In that trailer we see Michael Ironside, who I know from the series V also very iconical series and, and a remake later with Morena Baccarin who also played in Firefly. It's very coincidental by the way uh, looking at this trailer of Scanners with the exploding head that Quinton says a little later in the episode to Margot you look like your head is about to pop off. Julia acts a little bit like a spoiled child, by the way, when she gets from Hannah these spells, which she had on her cell phone, and they try them out. And 
suddenly she says, oh, they are finished. There are not any more. And she looks so, so disappointed, like a kid in a candy store. And suddenly the candy store is empty. Really, she is so greedy in the sense of magic. I had one general remark is that the senior students, so Elliot and Margot, are in charge there and the whole faculty is gone. Really? In such a school? Is that wise? Especially if you know how Margot and Elliot are more or less. Although, perhaps they have more responsibility than you think. When Julia is finally accepting Hannah's help and they do the spell together, there is a special sign drawn on the floor. First I thought I recognized that because it looks like the tattoo Penny got. But looking more carefully at Penny's tattoo, it more looks like a real anchor there. One of the other very nice remarks from the episode was when Alice says to Margot when she comes to this table and she has to register and she said, you really are enjoying this. And Margot goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Some predictions. Julia wants to create her own safe house, her own head witches group. I think she eventually could succeed in doing that. Possibly something great and bad is then going to happen at Breakbills, caused by the beast or something else, and they will need Julia. So possibly the cooperation we are looking forward to is going to happen then. And by the death of Hannah, Katie's mother, by the way. So what will happen to Katie if she hears this? Although the relationship between her mother and Katie was not so good, but still, it's her mother. But we see that Julia's spell didn't work out that well. And the other thing is that Marina is a little more clever than Julia thinks. I think that is becoming a nice story arc. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next episode. It it was, because of that, a better episode than the previous five ones. And I didn't like it better because of the nudity, although minimal amount, in this episode. I actually don't understand why that was necessary. Just as a viewer's trope or something. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, so uh, Doug, I'm really glad that you decided to send us an audio feedback. As I said, you know, Doug is a participant on the Facebook group, and the show has made a point several times to mention cooperative magic and its benefits and dangers. And, and yeah, Doug, I, I definitely agree. I think that's something that's got to be explored on so many different levels and and with all these tests they seem to be leading up to that yeah definitely you know and, and i too love when katie penny alice and q work together because they don't really like one another at this point you know i mean uh, penny likes katie she likes penny alice and q but but not really and, and i think on, on some levels katie probably intimidates alice as penny does q and, you know, I think truth be told, Alice intimidates everybody with her intelligence. Yeah. So, you know, so there is that. You know, the, the other thing that Doug mentions is that he's from the Netherlands, except I think, Doug, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, maybe on the Facebook group. So you were traveling to the Netherlands. You're not from the Netherlands, but probably got that wrong. But somebody that we know is from the Netherlands is, of course, Fred and and Fred mentions going into the back catalog of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and, and we're glad you're enjoying them. And, and yeah, as you say, it's difficult to give feedback on a show that was airing five years ago or whatever. But I, I think yeah. he's in the middle of not only Lost Girl, but Dark Angel as well. So uh, glad you're able to go back for those. But um I mentioned the acting at the, the top of the podcast and, and Fred mentions the acting in that scene where Katie is tattooing Penny. And, and yeah, that, that really is. And, and we talked a little bit about that already, that, that it really is kind of a tender scene, which then makes her revelation all the more brutal later. So um, I, th I think as the show goes on, hopefully the actors will get more comfortable with their characters and, you know, as I said, uh, Jason Ralph, who plays Quentin, I think really gives one of the strongest performances 
Um, you know, Elliot and Margot are what they are. Uh, they do it really well. And at this point, Q and Julia seem to be the real emotive characters. And, and not that the others don't have their, their moments, but it just seems like those two more than uh, the others. Now, the whole Kobayashi Maru, I know nice. you certainly are aware of it. But if, you, uh-huh. if, you, if you're not out there in listener land, it's a Star Trek test in which the participant is given a situation in which there really is no way to win. No matter what you do, you lose. I, I believe it was Wrath of Khan. I could be wrong on that. It, it was It was first in Wrath of Khan, and then it was also in the the first of the new Star Star Trek movies. Right. Okay. Um, you know, we mentioned the scanners thing, and and as it was turned out, the yeah, her head kind of did explode. Um, Seemed like it. Putting the senior students in charge, I guess, Fred, what I would say is break bills is not your typical school. But as it turned out, Elliot and Margot did okay. I, I think as teachers, Wayne and I would be happy if our older students conducted a test with these kind of results. I, I, I think we'd certainly be happy. Uh, sure. And, and uh, now... I, too, am pulling for Julia to start her own house. And, uh, you know, if the beast is as powerful as it seems, we're going to need everybody. Brake bills, as I said, Marina, Julia, and it's certainly something they've been focusing on throughout. And then Fred, like you, I don't think we have a clue what the deal with the geese is. So, oh, I mean, I have a clue. All right. Let's hear it. I, You know, I, I think at least... <clears throat> Quentin and and Penny turned into geese. I suspect all of them did because it seemed there was a lot of geese there. I, what that means, I do not know. You know, there, there, there's this thing, and actually, I don't know if they're going with this. Is what they're going with the the, the wild geese in Ireland were. I'm going to totally screw this up, but it, it, there was. Uh, I think it was after the the the, the the Stuart, the Bonnie Prince Charlie tried to take the throne and a lot of, he got a lot of uh, um, support in Ireland and it didn't work out. So a lot of the, the nobles and the, you know, the, the, the warriors who had supported Bonnie Prince Charlie then left for Europe because they couldn't stay in Ireland or England anymore. And so it was like the the cream of the crop basically deserted the island and ended up you know participating in wars and everything on the continent. So they call this the the wild geese uh, flying away, like as in being just traditionally like this, you know the which not so much I don't think anymore in Ireland, but certainly up until like the last twenty years was an issue of emigration and a place where a lot of the most a lot of people would leave for opportunities in, you know, England or Canada or America and everything. I think that's much different nowadays, but that's, so I don't know if that's what they were going with. Um, I might've just shown my complete ignorance of Irish history in the, and in, in that whole thing. But that's what I thought when I saw the geese flying away, I'm like, Oh, it's the wild geese flying away. Like, so anyway, cool. All right. Well, that's better than anything I've got. So we'll 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 fly with that for now. So, all right. Anything else about uh, Fred's feedback or Doug's feedback? You know the the tattoo again. I I never got really a a good look at what Stanley's tattoo was. I was wondering. I just I guess I just assumed that the tattoo that Penny was getting was the same that Stanley had, but with uh, Fred's, you know, it does maybe kind of look like an anchor like could be just like the thing that julia drew on the floor i guess that's something we'll have to we'll have to see on that one so right and that would make sense because the idea is that it anchors him to this reality so yes you know but uh all right well i guess we'll go ahead and leave it there and want to remind everybody as we said next week we're going to cover two episodes 107 and 108 but you know, we'll leave it there, and that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear what you think about The Magicians, Travelers, Haunting of Hill House. We've got Dark coming up on the horizon. Anything else going on in genre TV? 
encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community the way uh, Doug does. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to continue our discussion on the magicians with episode seven titled Mayakovsky Circumstance and episode eight. But until then, you know, that's what, uh, you know, it's so fun because now the AP tests are coming up and everything and all the tests I give in class. I, I always like this little uh, word of, of kind of like condolence and just to get the kids to feel good about themselves. And, um, you know, FYI, this test is pretty much impossible. Begin. <laughs>